Thanks for tuning in to My Weight Live, the podcast where we talk to medical experts about the latest research and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at myweightwhattoknow.com or search My Weight What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life easier. Emotional eating is something that many of us struggle with, and stressful times like these can make it more challenging. Tonight, we're going to be talking with therapist Katie Raskin about how we can heal from emotional eating and develop a sense of calm and ease around food. Katie, I learned so much from you during our conversation last summer, and it is a true pleasure to have you on again. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. So these are uncertain and challenging and strange times for all of us. And I guess my first question for you is, why do so many of us turn to food during times of stress and anxiety? It's a good question. And I, I know most people I'm talking to are feeling it. I'm feeling it too. I think a number of things. First of all, food can be so comforting and a great distraction. It's a sensory experience. It takes us out of whatever we're feeling and into a new, different experience. I think something I'm also seeing a lot of is that we feel a loss of control right now. There are so many unknowns. Everything's up in the air. And one place where we feel like we can assert some control is food and our bodies. So as we try to assert more control over our food and, and our bodies, you know, thinking about restricting or going on a diet or exercising more, whether we're actually doing it or not, that tends to cause us to think about it more and tends also to lead to more binging and more eating that feels chaotic or feels like very emotional. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're right. And in a, in a time where we have so little control over so many things, we do have control over what we eat and when we eat or whether we eat. It feels like anxiety is driving a lot of um, eating for a lot of people. Do you have any coping strategies for feel for people who are feeling like they just can't get their anxiety under control right now? Well, first of all, uh, offering yourself some self-compassion and patience and kindness because this is a something like we've never seen before, most of us. So it is very stressful and anxiety provoking. I usually recommend mindfulness and uh, a combination of mindfulness and reframing. So mindfulness means paying attention in the present moment without judgment. So noticing what is happening right now, uh, noticing at any given moment, what are you thinking? What are these thoughts that you're having? If the anxiety provoking thought is, I don't know if you know, I'll be able to keep my job, for example, noticing that thought and not only noticing what is the thought, but noticing how is it affecting me physically? Where am I feeling it in my body? Maybe, you know, maybe it feels like a tightness in your chest, or maybe it feels like a clenching in your jaw or tingling in your hands. It's really different for everybody, but when you notice the thought, then noticing that physical um, reaction. Exactly. And, and that's a good place to start to kind of break the cycle of having an anxious thought, your body reacting to that thought, that when your body is in a stressed and anxious state, it triggers more anxious thinking. And you get into this cycle where your body's responding. I think that's a good way to start. And then I think once you notice where you're feeling it in your body, what it is you're thinking, can you reframe it? Perhaps offering yourself some self-compassion. Um, this is a very stressful time. We're all feeling it. You know, statements like that. And what is actually true right now? I still have a job. So I hear you saying, be aware, be aware I'm having an anxious thought. Try maybe offering yourself some self-compassion, feel it in your body and, and then reframing. Yes, exactly. And then other th ways to um, help to soothe anxiety can be deep breathing, 
something you hear all the time and it might sound like, yeah, yeah, I know about that. (laughs) And maybe it doesn't feel like it's always super effective, but it really does help you get out of that sympathetic nervous system state, that fight, flight, freeze state, and into that rest and digest state. Ways to help with that deep breathing instead of just, I'm going to sit here and try to breathe deeply would be trying uh, the four, seven, eight breath. So you may have heard of this. It's breathing in for four seconds, holding for seven, breathing out for eight. Also, something I do with some of my younger clients is find a stuffed animal or a book and put it on your belly, lay back and breathe so that you can see that item rising and falling. So it's your belly rather than just your chest. Okay, Katie, any other suggestions for people who are really, really struggling with anxiety right now? What you just mentioned, meditation, that would be extremely helpful, Um, but also incorporating some self-care. So what can you do for self-care outside of food and eating? For a lot of us, that's become a habitual form of self-care and there's no shame in that. It's a really easy thing to turn to. And if we have any history of dieting or restricting, we're also more likely to turn to food for comfort. That's just how we're wired. So uh, other forms of self-care could mean journaling, talking to a therapist, talking to a friend, going outside and getting some fresh air, going for walks. And it's good to look for other sensory you know, because food is a sensory experience, it can be very effective, as I mentioned. So maybe taking a bath or giving yourself a massage with lotion or oil. I don't usually think of kind of the sensory aspect of food in the same way that, you know, people say like, oh, read a magazine when you have a craving. And it's like a magazine is not the same as having yeah. Doritos. But, you know, but when you say like, you know, incorporate other sensory pleasure, smell or, you know, uh, the, mm-hmm. the things that we love about eating are kind of all the, all the sensory enjoyment of it. Oh, yeah. And it's worth mentioning too, that food can be, because it's very comforting, it's okay to eat for emotional reasons sometimes. We just want to be able to have some other coping mechanisms too. So it's not what we're always turning to. I think that's a great reminder. And we'll come back to that. All right. So, so almost everyone, even people who don't think of themselves as having issues with food, we all find ourselves turning to food right now. I guess my question really is for folks who already have issues with emotional eating, and and you were referring to that earlier, people who've had a history of dieting or, or a lot of deprivation, this situation is probably making that more challenging. So what Mm -hmm. would you just say to someone who says they are really struggling right now? I would start with, as I usually say, a lot of compassion because you're going to be more wired if you have that history to look to food for comfort. And you might be using this time to think about how, you know, I feel I feel like I'm hearing from a lot of people that they want to use this time to try to get in shape or to, you know, be a little more focused on their eating, which just triggers more of that internal uh, rebellion, right? We have a strong sense of autonomy. And when we want to restrict our food, then it usually very often ends up in binging or, you know, the opposite of what we're trying to do. Another thing that is worth noting is that there is a feeling of scarcity right now. Grocery store shelves are emptier. A lot of people are panic buying. And we're tending to feel like we don't want to go to the store as much, which is a good thing. We don't, you know, social distancing. If you have a history of dieting, that's especially triggering. Um, So food insecurity, whether it be from you actually grew up with some kind of food insecurity, there wasn't enough money for food, or if you are dieting, uh, have a history of dieting, or even if you haven't successfully dieted, but if you've been told that you need to diet, it triggers a feeling of food insecurity. And so this is an especially stressful time. So to answer your question, one major thing I would recommend is to make sure that you have as much as you're able enough food around, shelf-stable food, food in your freezer, and make sure that you're eating things that are actually satisfying you. So satisfaction is the cornerstone of 
of intuitive eating, which is something that I practice with clients, if we're not getting actual satisfaction and enjoyment out of our food, we're going to continue to eat in a way that doesn't feel in line with... We're looking for that satisfaction. And if we're not getting it, we're just going to keep looking for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about... I mean, it is a very strange... I'm 43 years old. I don't think I've ever walked into the grocery store and seen the entire shelf of eggs not available. You know, the whole row of pasta, like shelves empty... And that is a that is a disconcerting feeling, and and I can totally see how for someone who's had issues with food insecurity, either because they deprived themselves or because financially it wasn't always possible to have a full pantry, I can see how that would be really triggering. And I think that's a great suggestion to to whatever degree we can make sure we have foods. Maybe we have to get a little creative, but make sure we have foods that we really do enjoy and are as healthful as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's actually walk through a situation that someone might find themselves in. All right. So it's the end of the day. I've been watching some TV and I suddenly find myself just overcome by the desire for a brownie. And this is completely hypothetical. (laughs) I know I'm not hungry. I know it's late. I'm not going to be happy with myself if I eat it, but I still really want it. So Mm -hmm. what would you suggest I do? Well, I I don't believe in depriving yourself. So I think that um, having that brownie, you know, a lot of times if we have brownies in the house and we decide we're going to have fruit for dessert instead of that brownie, we're probably not going to feel very satisfied. And we're probably going to be continue to think about that brownie until we have it. And if we let it go on long enough, we're probably going to eat the whole pan of brownies. So I think in this case, not eating it over the stove, putting it in a nice plate, going and really savoring it and enjoying it and being present with it and noticing the thoughts that might come up about, I shouldn't be eating this brownie. You know, that's very normal. It's understandable if you have a history of dieting that, you know, internal food police is going to chime in, but one food is not going to make or break your health. Um, as much as we have been getting that message probably from different sources, it's really, it's okay to have a brownie. You alluded to something earlier. And I, when I, when I think about the situation, one brownie can very quickly turn into the whole pan. Are, are there things that you recommend that people do to avoid that happening? Because that's mm-hmm. when it can go from just enjoyment to just, I know I'm going to hate myself when this is over. Yeah. Great question. Um, and I know that that might be a question on a lot of people's minds, right? I can't have just one brownie um, <laughs> because yeah, it's triggered, you know, it's, it's triggered that I shouldn't have done this. And a lot of times we feel that way. We are going to eat out of either punishing ourselves for it or that all or nothing mentality. I would want to ask this hypothetical person in this <laughs> hypothetical situation that I've never been in, of course, that, you know, are they, were they truly satisfied with their dinner before that brownie? Did they eat that first brownie in a way that felt chaotic or felt like shameful and they felt guilty? Because a lot of times that's what's going to lead to the eating the whole pan. And also, you know, that satisfaction piece is really, really important. If you're not getting satisfaction from your food and, you know, what I, what I see a lot with clients is they're eating throughout the day, maybe pre-portioned things or what they feel like they should be eating. I, I like salads. I, you know, salad is good and I should be able to be satisfied with that for dinner. But in reality, when you tune in, maybe it wasn't exactly what you wanted. Mm. Um, maybe you wanted something warmer or um, richer or just more substantial. Um, so in some ways, the brownie or the pan of brownies is almost kind of like the end of the chain of a whole bunch of decisions we've been making throughout the day, is, exactly. is what I hear you saying. 
Yes, that's a great way to put it. So choosing satisfaction, and we'll talk about mindfulness in in just a second. My next question for you is, let's say that I fall off the wagon, I eat the whole pan of brownies. What what do I do next? How how do I um, think about just not hating myself and, and riding the ship? I know this is hard. Um, you know, if we've eaten that whole plate of br- sheet of brownies, plate of brownies, whatever, we're going to feel there are probably a lot of maybe physical, uh, you know, effects from that where we feel we might feel sick and overly stuffed and we might feel guilty and beating yourself up about it is not helpful, right? Most of us know that because we've experienced that firsthand. It's maybe how we've gotten to a place where we are now, where we just feel really out of control around food. Instead, I want to encourage people to look at it as a learning experience. Like I was just saying, maybe I didn't really eat something satisfying that day. Or maybe when I eat this brownie and I'm over the stove and I'm feeling guilty about it, it leads to a binge later. You know, looking back and reflecting, that's what can be the most helpful. I want to circle back though to something you said towards the beginning of our conversation, where you said a lot of us are looking at this time of of staying at home as like, oh, we're going to exercise more and we're going to eat at home more, so we're going to be healthier. It does feel like a lot of us are putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to make this time, you know, this really incredible, like healthy time. And could that be backfiring? How do you recommend to people that they kind of maybe modulate their expectations? I mean, I think we're underestimating how stressful this really is, this situation that we're in. You could look at this like this is a time where I learn how to relate to myself in a different way, maybe become more accepting and more patient and compassionate with myself during this stressful time. We're certainly just adding stress on top of what is already a stressful situation if we're trying to be super productive and learn a new and language just, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. plant a vegetable garden. So so really kind of reframing our expectations. I love the idea of, you know, I'm going to try to use this time to, to myself in a different way. I think that feels feels a lot more kind and compassionate and and not as hard and fast as like, I'm going to be able to, you know, run a mile by the time this is all over. Yeah. Whatever. So on our last show, we talked about how intuitive eating can be a way that people who've developed what Dr. Lyon calls a post-traumatic dieting disorder can begin to heal their relationship with food. So, so let's take a step back. Tell us a little bit about what intuitive eating is and why it might be a good approach for, for this moment in time. Yeah. Um, So intuitive eating is a framework to help us learn how to get in touch with our hunger and fullness cues, recognize what is external information about what I should be eating versus what is internal wisdom about what feels good in my body and what satisfies me. I keep talking about satisfaction. That's such a key part being able to have a normal relationship with food where you eat when you're hungry and you know can stop when you're comfortably full which feels really challenging for a lot of us we're we're all born intuitive eaters um, and you can see that when if you have any kids or babies in your life um, they generally eat when they're hungry stop when they're full some days that looks like lots of food some days that looks like not so much food it's when we started getting all these external messages about you know cleaning your plate or dessert as a reward that we develop different associations with food so if someone were, were to think about getting started with intuitive eating what, what would be the first place you would encourage them to start first of all something that people hear a lot about in Intuitive eating is that you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, um, which can feel overwhelming for a lot of people, which is completely understandable. And maybe they've even tried that a little bit. Maybe they've dipped their toe in and that felt, you know, really bad because they felt out of control and they might have returned then to restriction. So starting with intuitive eating, I think it's important to really educate yourself on what it is. That can be from reading the book Intuitive Eating, which is a, you know, a great book that really breaks down everything. If you have the ability to, finding a therapist or an intuitive eating dietitian is really helpful to help because 
you know, if you have this unconditional permission to eat and you start doing that and it feels so chaotic, you need somebody to be able to tell you this is okay. It feels like this at first and help guide you into how to, you know, listen to your hunger and fullness. But if you don't have the resources or that's not, you know, something that you can get at this time, there are lots of other resources online, podcasts, blogs. Um, I'd be happy to provide some resources. There's an intuitive eating website, lots of resources on there as well. You know, this way you can start this with having some support. It's possible to do on your own. I see people just get it right away, but it can be, you know, also really helpful to have some support and some guidance. I think everything's easier with support, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of the one of the things that um, we hear from a lot of people is like food just takes up so much mental real estate for them. Should I eat this? Should I not? Um, yeah. You know, it seems to me that one of the the real joys of intuitive eating is kind of a sense of calm and ease around food. Is that is that what you see with your clients? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, that the reason it takes up so much brain space is very understandable because if you've been restricting or you feel that you should be restricting and there's any guilt around food, we have that internal drive for autonomy, right? Like, that I've mentioned. And so we're going to think about it more. And, and as I also mentioned with the food insecurity piece, if we've been deprived, we have this physiological, psychological reaction where we think about food all the time. It's what's going to drive us to get food in a famine. So it's, it just makes sense that it would take up a lot of mental real estate. And once we stop depriving ourselves and we get back to a place where we feel an abundance, we can have food when we want it. Um, and we know that on a subconscious level, then we can start to think about other things and move on to other, you know, important areas of our life that we want to be thinking about. Right. So I th I'm sure there are probably people listening to this who are saying, you know, the idea of moving away from kind of a structured eating plan is terrifying. You know, there are probably people who are saying that would never work for me. I just eat everything in the refrigerator. Yeah. What would you say to someone who that's kind of their knee-jerk reaction? Well, it is possible to do intuitive eating with a little bit of light structure. And that's something that you can get from professional helping you, or mm -hmm. um, it's something that you can also probably pull together on your own by reading the book and getting some other resources. There's an intuitive eating workbook that can can be really helpful, but it is going to feel a little chaotic at first. It's very normal. Um, and you want to ask yourself, am I, am I just dipping my toe in or do I really understand what this is? And do I really trust it? You know, cause it's a process that does require a lot of trust. <laughs> the other thing that is important to remember is that if you have been uh, binging, for example, and you start intuitive eating and the binges go away, there's a possibility, of course, that that could result in a weight loss, but it's not a guarantee. And so we have to kind of let go of that promise that diet gives, the diets give, which is that you're going to lose weight. With intuitive eating, we don't know so much uh, what's going to happen, but we do know from hundreds, I think there are a hundred studies right now that have been done on intuitive eating, that there are many, many benefits, uh, health-wise, um, higher HDL, cholesterol, hmm. uh, emotional benefits for sure. And on the intuitive eating website, that you can see other studies, they have them, those resources there, but it is correlated with better health. So it sounds to me though, that, that one of the things that one needs to kind of understand or trust as we're thinking about intuitive eating is that a lot of the chaos that we feel around food is because of dieting not because we ourselves are defective. And I think for a lot of chronic dieters, there is this sense of like, if I could just get it together, you know, I could, I could power through and make this work. But in fact, there's a lot of research that says that dieting in and of itself leads to food addiction, can lead to, you know, just feelings of, of you know, post-dieting traumatic disorder, as Dr. Yeah. Lyons says. 
Do you find that the people that you work with who've kind of come to that realization are more successful? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, putting all this blame and shame on yourself does not help you to feel more calm and able to feed yourself in a way that feels in line with self-care and in line with your hunger and fullness cues. So I think that for sure, um, more self-compassion and understanding this diet cycle just frees you up to be able to feel a lot more calm around food. Walk us through just some basic guidelines of mindful eating and how you encourage the people you work with to be more mindful. Mindful eating is great um, and really, really helpful for finding satisfaction from food, not only because you're more present with the experience, but you're also able to get a lot of information about what truly satisfies you when you do that. Um, And that is invaluable information moving forward um, because you know, the more satisfying your meals and snacks are, the more satisfied you are with less food, the more enjoyment you're going to get out of the whole experience. While you're learning this, I don't think it's realistic. I can say this at this point to ask people to always eat in a quiet place without any distractions um, and, you know, to tune out everything else. But if you can do that for maybe one meal a day for a period, just to see if you can um, take some time in your meal to pause, um, There's a great hunger and fullness scale in the intuitive eating book, but you could look it up online and and probably find it in a lot of different places, a lot of versions of it. But this is an important aspect of a mindful eating where you're checking in with how hungry am I on a scale of one to 10? And mindfulness helps us get in touch with the subtleties, you know, in between. Maybe six or seven is where you feel comfortably full. So not only are we paying attention to the scent, the appearance, the textures of our food, um, noticing our breath uh, as we're eating, maybe putting our fork down in between bites to help actually taste the food instead of just eating so quickly that we're not really there for the experience. And then checking in with that hunger and fullness scale to check in with how we're physically feeling as we're eating. Those are so many good, so many good suggestions. And it strikes me, um, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and she was just saying like, you know, life just isn't fun right now. You know, I just don't have, like, there's just not a lot in my life that's fun. And I think for a lot of us, food provides that source of fun. It's the only place we give ourselves permission to kind of have pleasure. Um, Is that something that you see in the people that you work with? And and how do you encourage them to to develop other areas of, of joy or pleasure? That's a great question. I absolutely see that. I think it's perpetuated by our culture in a lot of ways. I think, you know, we tend to be kind of uh, all or nothing in that we work hard all week, then we blow off a lot of steam on the weekends. Um, You know, there are, are just different areas where we've been kind of I think, conditioned to approach things with that mindset. And food is definitely one of those. And if I haven't said it enough times, if you have a history of dieting, the reward from food is higher. So it is going to be like maybe the most fun thing to think about food. And maybe there's some obsessive thinking about food. There's no shame in that. When you can regulate around food a little better, I mean, you're not feeling any sense of deprivation. It naturally opens you up to look at other things in your life. But say that's not the issue um, and just, you know, you you don't have those issues with food and you're still kind of just looking to food. Is that the most fun thing? I would ask like, maybe what did you enjoy doing when you were a kid? That can be a really great place to discover what it is I really like doing. Maybe I danced as a kid and now I never dance. So maybe that can open some avenues for new fun things to try. <laughs> I love the idea of starting as a kid because you you had permission then, you know, then exactly. there was, we all had things that we loved to do, whatever they were. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid to try things. I think another major thing is that when you don't feel comfortable in your body, um, you kind of delay 
I just hear this so much and I felt this personally um, at different points in my life where I'm delaying happiness and things that I want to try because I don't really feel comfortable in my body. Learning to respect your body and getting more comfortable. You don't have to necessarily love your body, but can you be a little more neutral around it and learn how to respect it by wearing clothes that fit and treating your body affectionately like it deserves to be treated, doing things that feel good. Uh, getting a massage when this whole thing is over or taking a bath or whatever, learning how to be in your body. And I think that opens up the doors to be able to go do things that you want to do and not let your body hold you back. And, And what I love about this is do it now. Don't wait until 20 pounds from now, like start now. So there's kind of, you spoke earlier about this is a time where we don't have a lot of control. And I think there are a lot of people who feel so out of control that they then become obsessed with tracking what they eat, how often they exercise. You know, why is becoming obsessed with quote unquote, like staying on track right now, something that might actually kind of turn into something unhealthy? Well, on top of it probably is taking away from some joy and happiness and pleasure in your life. Uh, you know, focusing rigidly on those things um, might not, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but it, it might not be providing very much fulfillment for you. So that's one aspect. But then there's also the chance that it will backfire. Um, that's pretty common. As I've been saying, there are a lot of like psychological uh, and physiological things. Our body rebels against that. It can be harmful for those reasons too. And not to mention, if you're dieting for long periods of time, you know, that might not be very healthy either. Gosh, you just make sure you're getting enough to eat. That's right. And there is a lot of data about, you know, yo-yo dieters, you know, slowing metabolism down, slowing hormonal yes. responses down. So I'm really, really glad you brought that up. If someone were to notice that they are getting a little obsessive about getting on the scale right now, any suggestions on on how they might kind of begin to wind that back? I mean, I think that finding some support, um, you know, uh, I have I have some clients who need little gentle reminders to make sure that they're eating enough. Um, And so I think, you know, that could be from a therapist. It's often a little tricky having a family member uh, Mm -hmm. or somebody that you're living with getting involved with how much you're eating or not eating. Uh, But if there's somebody that you trust in your house that can kind of help you wheel it back, I think carving out time to slow down and focus on self-care that is less stress-inducing. You know, exercise, I've had to remind a few clients recently that exercise is a stressor on the body. It's a positive one, but when you're already under a lot of stress, that can just add more stress. Uh, So the forms of self-care that I'm referring to are more like journaling, maybe taking leisurely walks. Uh, meditation is, of course, great. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I think that I think that's really important because a lot of times I think we're trying to get that sense of pleasure, you know, from from being super restrictive when really we need to make sure that the oh, yeah. that the other areas of our life are are kind of bolstering us and supporting us. Wow, Katie, the the time always flies when you're with us. I cannot thank you enough for including us. I know you've got a lot going on, so we really, really appreciate uh, your wisdom oh. and your perspective. Thank you so much, Ansley. It's great to be here. 